Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So, we've, uh, we've talked a lot in the last number of weeks um, about the kingdom, but we took a little break last week, right? And Pastor Michael was talking about how we can share our faith with others, because we're always about sharing our faith. I just wanted to point out a few resources we have in the back there to help you share your faith. And a bunch of them fit in pockets. It's great. We have these in- invitation cards in the back. They're like business cards, but like much better. They got all of our church information. You can invite someone to the church service. And if you look on the back, it's the gospel presentation with verses and everything. If you give this to somebody and they read the back, they're reading the gospel, okay? You can walk through the gospel with somebody with just this card. You should definitely have at least one of these in your wallet or your pocketbook for whenever the opportunity arises that, you know, um, you always have your Bible on your phone, but that's one opportunity. The other thing is that we have these gospel tracks. What is the gospel? If you take this and you want to go sit down with somebody and say, let's go through this together. Someone asks you in the service, what's the gospel? How can I be saved? Something along the line. You can just go in the back and grab one of these out of the, the little holder thing. And you can walk through someone with the gospel here. It's got the verses and everything in there. Um, or you can give this to somebody. Okay? That's what they're there for. Don't feel bad about grabbing a bunch and handing them out to a bunch of people. We will buy plenty more. Now, if you have someone who wants to walk through the gospel a little more at length, we have the What is the Gospel books in the back. With all the verses in there and everything there, too, you can grab two of these and you can go and have a few meetings with them, a couple coffees, and work your way through the book. Give them this to read through. Right? If you have some more time, you want to go through that. Or if they've just made a profession of faith, you want to make sure that they kind of really drill down on the basics about what the gospel is. Those resources are always in the back. Uh, Please use them. All right, moving on into... (laughs) Pastor Michael said, I'm going to be out. And I said, oh, okay, which, which, uh, which lesson will I be doing? And he said, oh, the divided kingdom. So... Here's 320 years of Bible history and two kingdoms coming at you like a fire hose. So we're going to do our best what we can to give you an overview. That's what we're doing in this whole, whole uh, Old Testament uh, survey, so to speak, is to give you that big overarching understanding of what's going on in the whole Bible, right? Because just in Sunday school, the lesson today was about Jesus. And out here, the lesson is about Jesus, but we're in different parts of the Bible. Everything points to Jesus. All right, so we're doing the glory and redemption, and uh, we've been following along with God's work in Israel. And one of the main things he's doing with Israel is he's showing us that things are wrong and we can't fix it, right? We first had the strongest king. Who is that? Saul. Saul was strong. He was taller than everybody. He was super strong, but he wasn't strong enough, was he? He made some really bad choices. And then we had the most faithful king, or the most passionate king, King David, a man after God's own heart. 
but he was a little too passionate about things he shouldn't have been passionate about, right? Like his neighbor's wife. And he failed. He was not the king that we needed. And then we had the wisest king. Solomon asked for wisdom, and yet, how many wives did he marry? <laughs> He still felt like he needed more wisdom, so he kept marrying women until he felt like he had enough wisdom around him. But he did some really stupid things, right? Not only did he marry a ridiculous amount of women, but then he started worshiping all of their gods, okay? He worshiped their gods, and that brings us to where we are here. Uh, next slide there. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, we're going to get foreshadowing that's about to happen here. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And he had commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. Then the Lord said to Solomon, Since you have done this and did not keep my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, I will not do it during your lifetime for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of your son's hand. Yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem that I chose. So, in this, we're seeing that. Actually, I have them. This way I can access my own slides, but I can't move them. So, we have these two promises that God gives to uh, Solomon. Even though he's saying that there's going to be judgment, always when God brings judgment, there always seems to be this grace, this mercy, right? That one, that it would not happen in his days, okay? Not him, but his son is when it's going to happen. And two, that his descendants were always going to have Judah, one tribe. You get to keep one tribe. So that's where we're going to get this uh, understanding of a divided kingdom. The next slide there. We have a cool infographic for all you visual learners out there, right? I'm a visual learner, too. Um, so we got uh, the two tribes in the south. Uh, Rehoboam takes over for Solomon. And Solomon had raised all this money through lots of wonderful taxes um, to do all these construction projects. And the construction projects are done. And so all the people come to Rehoboam and say, okay, so now that the construction projects are done, we're going to lower the tax rate, right? And Rehoboam said, I'm going to double them. And uh, so, naturally, what happens next? Ten of the tribes are like, nah, pass. Uh, we're going to go with the lower tax guy. We're going to vote for the other party. So they vote to separate, and they, uh, they separate under Jeroboam, because that's not confusing at all. So you've got Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam in the south. Um, so let's split up to the next slide here. You can kind of see how it breaks down. So Benjamin is like completely encircled by Judah. So they just kind of go where Judah goes. Now, Solomon had how many wives? A couple thousand. Uh, 
he had a lot of wives. So you can just imagine he had a lot of kids, and uh, so that's probably helping the numbers of Judah. But Judah is always one of the largest tribes, right? And so Judah was always kind of the, the, the big dog when it came to population. Um, all the other tribes are kind of smaller, but Judah and Benjamin stay with their capital in Jerusalem, and all the other tribes, all 10 other tribes go the other way. Um, you'll notice that two of the tribes seem to be missing, but that's because they're actually under Joseph. Joseph had two sons, and oftentimes they're listed as separate tribes. So that's why when you read through like the 12 tribes of Israel, sometimes you read it and you're like, why are there 13? <laughs> because two of the sons are Joseph's, right? So the divided kingdom um, is Judah and Israel, or northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Here's the summary for the next 300 and some years. Judah is going to have kings from 931, that's the death of Solomon, all the way through 597 B.C. Remember, we're counting down to Jesus, right? B.C., before Christ. I know that's not what it stands for, but it's basically what it stands for. So we're counting down to Jesus, so that's why we're going negative, right? Um, so for 334 years, Judah has kings. And Israel, for 209 years, has kings. At which time, Israel is taken into captivity by Assyria, and Judah, uh, 125 years later, is taken into captivity by Babylon. So God establishes the kingdom of Israel, they do their own thing for a while, some judges, then they move into this time of kings. They have three kings before they finally like, enough of this, let's, let's have our own little factions. And they split up into two countries, and they're constantly kind of fighting each other. And one is more faithful than the other. So we're going to be covering 1 Kings chapter 12 through the end of the, the book, as well as uh, 2 Kings, and then we have Second Chronicles 10 through 36. So First um, and Second Samuel flow right into First and Second Kings, right? And that is the history of the kings, hence the name Kings. Um, but Chronicles kind of follows along parallel to it because that is the chronicle of the temple. Okay? So that's why we have two sets. Just like the Gospels, we have four accounts of Jesus. They're just from different perspectives. First and Second Chronicles are a different perspective than the kingly records. And so oftentimes we'll see in uh, First and Second Kings, we see, are not all the rest of the things that they did written in the book of the Chronicles? <laughs> so it kind of refers over to Chronicles. And we'll move on to the next slide here. So in the kingdoms, even during David's time, we kind of have this three branches of government, so to speak, right? We've got the kings. That's pretty obvious, right? King Solomon, King David, and King Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, and all these guys, the kings. And their, their job is to do the government, right? The government, they, they, they wage war, they decide who we're going to fight, and then they raise an army to go fight them, and that kind of thing. The second, that second branch of government, so to speak, was the prophets. Now, the prophets... Who'd you have to be to be a prophet? What tribe? 
It's a trick question. You can be of any tribe, right? A prophet is just someone who speaks for God. God's like, you. I want you to go to the king and tell him that uh, judgment is coming. You know, that's an easy way to lose your head, but uh, if you do it, then, then God uh, can speak through you. And so this is basically kind of like uh, just, just random people. You know, every time a prophet starts speaking up, a lot of times they're like, who are you? <laughs> like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? He's like, God sent me. And they're all like, okay. And then he does a miracle, and they're like, okay, I guess God did send him. But we don't like what he says, so make him go away. And then the third branch, so to speak, is the priests. Now, these do have to be from the tribe of Levi. These are kind of like your elites, so to speak, right? And their job is to man the temple and to, do, and to keep the scriptures. Let's go to the next slide. In case this sounded a little familiar to you, um, this is where we get the three branches of our government from, by the way. James Madison explicitly said when he was writing the Constitution that this is where he got the inspiration to have three branches of government. So now he, he got it from a different passage in Scripture, and it's kind of related, but basically you kind of have your kings, which is like your executive branch, your president. Prophets are like Congress. Anyone can be a, anyone can be a, a prophet, right? Anyone can be a congressman. Um, all you have to do to be a congressman is just take bribes. Um, <laughs> And the priests are like the courts. The courts, you have to, you have to be like a lawyer to become a, a, a judge, right? You can't just, like, you know, wander in and be like, I want to be a judge. They're going to be like, well, did you practice law? Unless you get appointed to the Supreme Court. Anyway, uh, James Madison, James Madison said, this is where I got the idea from the divided government. Okay. We want to take a few things away from this. As we're going to cover a lot of territory here, I want you to get three things out of this. That sin has consequences, always has consequences, but political sin, when you're ruling, the damage tends to be wider or broader. Your personal sin will impact you, your family, and the people around you. If you're the king your sin is going to damage generations um, of a whole nation. It's a big deal. And faithful individuals in the midst of corrupt government. All right, so we have, we have the northern kingdom, we're getting into that, and uh, it's bad. It's really bad in the time of Elijah and Elisha. But they're faithful. Elijah and Elisha were some of the um, most faith-filled believers in all of history, right? They, they did such amazing things. And part of the reason why they burned so brightly in the darkness was because it was so dark. And I want you to gather out of this that in this troubling time in Israel's history, there were some that were faithful. What's your excuse, <laughs> right? We don't have an excuse. We can't be like, oh, well, it's really bad in America, so therefore that's why I'm bad. No, not an excuse. These guys stood strong. The prophets stood strong. They were persecuted. They were martyred. They followed God, even in the midst of the worst government. I know, it makes our government look really, really good. I know it's hard to believe, but we're getting into that. Uh, number three, God was always faithfully working. What was God trying to do? 
He's trying to show us that we can't rule ourselves. We can't find a really good guy. We can't find the right political party to rule us well. It always ends in disaster. David looked really good, didn't he? He brought the plague that, uh, that decimated the, uh, the population because he had to do a census. Why? Because he wanted to know how awesome he was and God brought a plague upon all of Israel. Solomon thought it would be great to have lots of wives and build a bunch of temples to all sorts of different gods, and God came and said, there will be warfare, and the country will be divided. There are numerous instances where the northern tribes and the southern tribes were literally engaged in warfare, slaughtering each other. That's that's not good for any country, is it? So as we keep those things in mind, let's jump into the kings. You're going to love this. All right. Let's go through the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. There's 19 of them, so buckle up. Rehoboam, bad. He ruled for 17 years. Abijah, he was bad. He ruled for three years. Asa, he was good. 41 years. Jehoshaphat, good. 25 years. Jehoram, bad. Eight years. Ahaziah, bad, one year. Joahash, good, 40 years. Amaziah, good. Uzziah, good, but then he turned bad. Jotham, he was good. Ahaz was bad. Hezekiah, he was good. Manasseh was bad. You're going to see where I'm going with this. but uh, uh, Amon, bad. Josiah, good. Jehoahaz, bad. Jehoiakim, bad. Jehoiachin, bad. And what is up with that? Why would you name your son like one letter off from your name? That's just messed up. Uh, Zedekiah, he was bad. And over to Israel, the northern kingdom. Jeroboam the first, bad. Nadab, bad. Basha, bad. Elam, Elah, bad. Zimrah, bad. Omri, bad. Ahab, bad. Azahai, bad. Jehoram, bad. Jehu, bad. Let's just sum up the rest of them were bad, too. Okay, hopefully you picked up on the little trend there over on the next uh, page here. So we got, uh, we got Judah and we got Israel. The southern kingdom, Judah. Northern kingdom, Israel. Judah had some kings that were good and some that were bad. You could call it about 50-50 split, right? And we'll get into how we know they're bad or good. But Israel, were there any good kings in Israel, northern kingdom? No, no, they're just straight bad, you know? That's just easy to cut and paste. Uh, but the northern kingdom, you kind of had to figure out whether, I mean, the southern kingdom, you had to figure out whether they're good or bad. I'm just going to read these to you, just kind of so you can kind of get a little feel for how we know if they were good or they were bad. This is how a lot of First Kings and Second Kings reads. Ahaz reigns over Judah. Verse 1. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, son of Ramallah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. And we all know all the kings of Israel are, right? And he even made his, sons pa- his son pass through the fire. He burned his son to death. 
as a sacrifice to Baal, probably. According to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel, he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills under every green tree. Let's read about Jotham over in Judah. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Remember, he was mostly good. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And then he did this and that. And then, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Referring over to Chronicles, right? Here's another one. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, son of Gandhi, Gadi, sorry, not Gandhi, uh, became king of Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart uh, all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel sin. And then it goes into some of the stuff that he did. So Steve's opinion, whether good or bad, no. It like literally just says it. They did what was pleasing to the Lord or they were not pleasing to the Lord or they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So um, Jeru- uh, Judah, no, we're staying on the slide. Sorry, I, I was pointing at the slide. Uh, Judah had Jerusalem as the capital. What's important about Jerusalem? The answer's right below it. That's where the temple is. And the temple wasn't just picked willy-nilly. God said to David, he said, you, your son shall build me a temple in the place where I will show you. He said it all the way back in, to Moses. He said, in the place that I will show you. And towards the end of David's life, when the destroyer was coming to strike down Jerusalem with the plague that David had brought upon them, the destroyer stopped on a certain hill overlooking Jerusalem. And David ran up there, built an altar, and pleaded for the people of Israel. And God said, this is the place. This, this threshing floor overlooking Jerusalem is where the temple will be built. A place where man stands between God's wrath and other men. The imperfect high priest and the imperfect priests would offer sacrifices on that temple mount. And not very far away, the true Lamb of God would give his life for the ransom of all mankind. God said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Mount Zion is the place. Now Israel, on the other hand, um, northern kingdom, they didn't have Jerusalem. So what did they do? They said, well, if we keep letting all of our people keep going to Jerusalem, they'll eventually want to be reunited with Judah. So what we need to do is we need to have a second temple. So they chose Joshua's altar at Mount Gerizim. And this is what's called the sin of Jeroboam. Jeroboam is like, we've got to have a separate place of worship. So how about this place? And God's like, no, Jerusalem. 
the temple, Mount Zion. And Israel's like, Mount Gerizim, because cool stuff happened there. So they built an altar, and they were in open rebellion to God's plan of, of, of the temple. They decided to have their own worship system. And this is one of the reasons why there are no good kings. Because every single king in Israel went along with this. Let's have this separate temple. Let's have this separate altar. Let's just do worship our own way. That always ends well, doesn't it? How do we worship here in this church? If, if tomorrow, heaven forbid, Don, me, and Pastor Michael were to drop dead, worship could continue at this church, not because of the cool traditions that we have, not because of the cool trainings that people have. No, because according to this book, any one of you could pick up this book and start teaching the Word of God. I know, I just scared half of you to death, right? <laughs> the idea of coming up here and teaching in front of everyone, right? But we can all teach the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that is what it's all about. I need to figure out which slide I'm on. There we go. Back on my slides. Um, so all the bad kings of Israel. Let's look at the sins of Israel so that's the next slide. We're told that Israel sinned in ignorance. Isn't that nice to be told? It's your, it's your ignorance. You're just ignorant. You don't know, right? There's a difference between someone who's like, they know what they're doing is wrong versus those who just don't even get it. They're just ignorant of what they're doing. Well, God says Israel was just ignorant, and that's not good but it is certainly better than willful sinning. Let me read this to you. As I find it. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and every, under every green tree. She was a harlot there. I thought, after she had done all these things, she will return to me. So this is northern tribes, right? But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah, the southern kingdom, saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. This is the exile that happens 125 years before Judah, right? God punishes the northern kingdom. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was also a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Speaking of idolatry, right? Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. So we see... Israel was just ignorant. They didn't know what they were doing. The word of God was more passed down uh, in Judah. In fact, the northern tribes actually rejected every book of the Bible except for the first five, the Pentateuch. So the Samaritans, even in Jesus' day, only accepted the Pentateuch. If you've seen the, the Chosen series in season two, they, they kind of show Jesus going into a, 
a Samaritan synagogue, and he's trying to figure out what, uh, what to teach out of. Now, that's, that's fiction, okay? But it kind of gives you an illustration of the Samaritans, how they only had the first five books. Um, they rejected all the other ones. But, so they have the wrong worship. They're worshiping in the wrong place with all these traditions that are wrong. They're not doing it the right way. So even when they try to repent, even when they try to seek God, they do it the wrong way. They also have the high places. This is what's spoken of, like, basically, if you want to worship God, you could go all the way to Jerusalem, or if you're in the northern kingdom, you you could go all the way to Samaria, or you could just build your own little thing, huh? So they just go up on the hill, and they're like, well, this is a special place. It's got a great view. Let's, Let's put a little temple up here. And so they put up an altar on top of a hillside and be like, here's a high place. Cool. They'd find a special looking tree and they're like, let's put an altar here. It's okay that we worship God wherever we want to worship. Today, we're told that we are the temple, right? We can worship wherever we want to. But in the Old Testament, they were explicitly told there's one place. One place for sacrifices. One place. And that is Jerusalem. But both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are like, well, that's an awfully long walk. Let's put one right here. And so they built all these high places. Now, some of the high places were like, let's worship God where it's convenient. Others were like, well, we could worship God or we could worship Baal. And so they put, you know, sometimes it was high places to God. Sometimes it was high places to idols. But... If your conception of, I'm going to take what I like out of the Bible and reject the other things that God says, that's really idolatry too, isn't it? When we just choose to worship God the way we want to worship, that's sin. And then there was the flagrant idolatry. And then there was violence. The weak were killing the, uh, I mean, the king... The strong were killing the weak. They were beating up on the weak. There was a lot of violence. You know, if you've read through the Psalms, right, it's like, you know, they've dug a pit for me. They wait in ambush. You know, they're like, you know, if you wanted to get rich real suddenly, you just rob somebody. You know, put on a mask and go rob somebody. That's kind of what they would do back then, and that was allowed to happen in some cases. They would abuse the poor. What recourse do they have, right? There's a widow. You can go take all of her stuff, what's she going to do about it, right? Um, And then there was the sexual immorality. And then they also did not follow the Sabbath. Let's go up to Judah. Let's see if Judah's any different. Well, they did have one thing in their favor. They actually had the temple, right? And they also went to the temple. But some in Judah were like, still too far for us. Let's put a high place over here. And so they built their own high places that were more convenient for them, worshiping in their own way. And then you see that basically all these are the same. These are the complaints that God has against Judah as well. And they're going to go not just as far as Israel, but they're going to go even further. Does this sound familiar? People worshiping however they want to. Does that sound like America to you? Well, I could go to church. I could assemble, like the Bible says, with other believers, or I could stay on my couch and worship where it's convenient. I can watch a 
YouTube video. I can watch um, Facebook Live, right? Now, there's one thing when you, you can't come, and it's a choice of not assembling at all or assembling over Facebook. That's one thing, right? Whether it's due to health or whether it's just due to you traveling, whatever. But there's another thing when that's just your practice because it's more convenient for you. But a lot of people in our culture are like, well, I don't go to church, I don't read the Bible, I just, I go out into nature, that's how I get to know God. Anyone hear that one? Nature is my temple. Oh, I just, whenever I need to hear from God, I just flop open the Bible somewhere and read the first verse that my eyes land on, and that's God speaking to me. That's not exactly what we find in Scripture, is it? Where we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved where we are to, um, to know all that Jesus has commanded us, right? That's, we're called to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Not the one verse your eyes happen to land on today. Now, God can use that, and it's better that you're doing that with the Bible than just going to Chinese and getting fortune cookies, okay? It's better that you're using the Bible, but let's just say that's not a good practice, you should not just worship God how you want to. You should find out what God says about worship and do it that way. And he says we need to assemble together, the church. Together we reach the, the, the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sitting at home and not reaching anyone with the gospel is not God's plan. Idolatry. When people says, oh, my Jesus would never say that. I don't think God would ever say, it's like you just quoted a Bible verse at them, right? And then they're like, oh, I don't think God would ever say that. Your conception of who God is, let's just say you just harden that up a little bit and turn it into a stone image and show us what you think God looks like. Because that's what you're doing. It's idolatry. When you start speaking for God, when you start saying God is like this and you're not just quoting our scripture. If, if Jesus were here, he would say this. Oh, be very careful. Be very careful. You, the next words out of your mouth had better be a quote from Jesus, okay? When we say God says this, or God believes this, or God tells us this, or this is what God says, you had, you're on very dangerous ice you had better make sure what you say next is literally from God. And the only way you can really know that for sure is by reading this book and quoting this book. Now, you can say, I have an opinion. I think this is what God says. Okay, okay, let's hear what you have to say. Let's see if it lines up with Scripture. But you're speaking for you now. When you speak for God, careful. And for those of you who like Facebook and like memeing, don't use the little... God said this. You've seen those billboards, right? It's like something snarky, and then it's like, dash, God. Mm, careful, careful. That's called blasphemy, by the way. When you speak for God, when you give your opinion and say, this is what God says. Idolatry. And then violence. Do we have any violence in the United States? Do we have any violence in the United States? There's a lot of places in the city of Pittsburgh and other cities that most of us won't go, right? Because we don't like violence. We don't like violence against us. 
64 million babies have been killed since 1974, legally, in the United States. Do we have violence in the United States? I just had a conversation the other week when we were talking about, you know, um, about civil war or warfare or whatever and violence happening in the United States and civil strife. And uh, someone said, I think you might be taking that a little too far. And I said, well, in, in World War II, we, we fought against the Nazis because they're, they're bad, right? We, that's, that's a good war, right? How many millions did they kill in the concentration camps? Far, far, far less than we've killed through abortion. Is, is violence justified? Is, is conflict justified? Uh, violence is, is, is given to governments. Biblically, God gives the sword to governments. It is the government's job to wage war. It's the government's job to execute criminals, and that it's, it's not for you and I. Nope. Now, in the United States, we have something interesting here where we have been delegated some of that authority by the government, and the Second Amendment, and that's an interesting situation. But as we walk through this, I want you to hear not just what those people in Washington, D.C. or Harrisburg are supposed to do. We're talking about bad kings. We're talking about bad governments, right? But who's the government of this country? Everyone, everyone in this audience can point to yourself as long as you're a citizen, Right? If you're over the age of 18, well, 18 or older, you can vote. You are the government. You are the government of this country. Okay, now, let's go back and say 64 million children have been killed in this country under your watch. We're all each little kings and queens. Now, we don't rule by ourselves. We rule collectively with everyone else. But we all share ruling responsibility in our country. This week, election day, I will say this, vote with anyone who is against murder. Um, I, we don't want to jump into politics here. We don't want to jump into things. We want to make sure that we're very clear that when we speak for God, we're speaking the words of God. But Jesus is very clear that we are to defend the widows and the orphans. We are to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And unborn children are unable to defend themselves. And it is, it is the uh, understanding of the elder team, and we have discussed this, I'm not just flying off the handle, that we are comfortable saying, thus saith the Lord, abortion is murder. And for, for me, I interpret that to say that I cannot vote for someone who endorses that. Now, I will leave that in your camp, your, but I, I would suggest that as we are little kings and queens, that we take that violence line right there very seriously, because God does. We should take the other ones very seriously. Convenience of worship, idolatry, but how we treat the unborn and any other human life, okay? Any other human life as well. And then the abuse of the poor. 
Do we have any of that in this country? A little bit, right? A little bit of abuse of the poor. Um, many of us understand kind of what's going on with the banking systems and all the, all the injustice that's out there. There is a lot of injustice out there in the United States as well as other countries. Sexual immorality. Do we have any of that in the United States? It's hard to watch anything on TV, isn't it? Hard to watch anything. Everyone's like, have you seen this show? It's like, I wanted to watch that, but uh, plugged in online, said no. <laughs> so, no, I haven't. Hopefully that's the answer if you're a TV watcher or a movie watcher. You are checking to see if things are appropriate or not before you watch them. And we have the internet at, on, on everyone's phone here, right? Everyone has internet on their phone. And there is stuff, even on the best of websites, it seems like, sexual immorality, not just desiring sexual immorality, but then also the committing of sexual immorality. With the, this number of people here in the room, statistically speaking, some of you are probably cheating on your spouse. Statistically speaking, I, I have no, not, I'm not like looking at anyone like, you know. Uh, if you are, you need to stop. Whether that's with a person or with images, internet, you need to stop. God takes it seriously. And the Sabbath rest. Why was the Sabbath so important in the Old Testament? Because it pointed forward to Jesus. God took the Sabbath rest issues so seriously. Every seven years, they were to not plant their crops. Every seventh Sabbath year, they were to have a year of jubilee. That's so cool. They did that. No, no, they actually didn't do that. They didn't celebrate one single Sabbath rest. They did not sing celebrate one single year of jubilee. And when God sent Judah into exile... When God sent Judah into exile, they were out there for 70 years. Why? One for every single Sabbath year they missed. One for every Sabbath year they missed. Okay, the next page here. So we had the kings who ruled. We had the prophets who were supposed to stand up and speak the truth. And these are the faithful men who did. In Israel's north, Abijah, Jehu, Micaiah, Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Hosea, Hosea, sorry, um, Jonah, Nahum, Daniel, Obadiah. Now, some of these guys got their own books in the Bible, so that's easy to find out. Others are just mentioned in these books. Let's look at the Judah, Judah's prophets. Shemaiah, Hanani, Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Let's keep on going. So we got the divided kingdom. Judah. After 334 years of disobedience and ups and downs, they were taken into exile to Babylon for 70 years. For the 70 years of Sabbath rest that they skipped, God said, I'm going to make the land rest, whether you like it or not. Israel was, after 209 years of absolute flagrant disregard for what God had to say, they were taken into captivity by Assyria, and they were scattered amongst the nations, and they never returned. A few, a few returned, but generally speaking, the ten northern tribes, poof, 
were destroyed. That's why when we say the nation of Israel today, someone of the nation of Israel or the religion of Israel, what, is it, what do we call them? Jew. Judah. Because all that we really have left are basically the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, the Levites, and then the remnants from the other tribes that kind of disregarded and just came back anyway. We, so we have remnants from other tribes, but basically we now synonymously use Judah for all of Israel. And finally here, um, let's get back to those points again. Sin has consequences, but political sin has broader consequences. Your personal sin affects you, your family, and the people around you, and by ripple effect, the community at large. But the decisions you make when you vote, when you exercise your governance over this country, affect further, further. So exercise your voting, your civic duty, whether it's yard signs or whatever. Exercise your governance as best as you can. And if God's calling any of you to go into politics, God bless you. Um, <laughs> do we have anyone that corrupt in this church? <laughs> no, I'm just um, no, but seriously, we need godly people in leadership. And if you know of people who are godly and are going into politics or are in politics, um, pray for them. Support them as best you can. Because the failings that we have in our governance of our country impact not just our nation, our, our states, but the world at large. We, we were established as a country that was supposed to be a city on a hill, shining brightly, so that everyone who looked at America would see Jesus. Do people see that anymore? I think that it's grown very dim, if any at all. Just because the government is corrupt doesn't give us an excuse. We need to be faithful. We need to be the remnant, the faithful remnant, even in the midst of an evil country. If you come to faith... In, in Iran, if you come to faith in uh, a, a country where there's persecution, you don't have an excuse. You need to be faithful. And thirdly, God is faithfully working. I know you look at, you turn on the TV and you're like, I don't see God working in this at all. This is just a mess. It's a mess. The world, you see all the, the, the what's happening around the world. You see what's happening in our country. The next slide here. So the strongest king, Saul, failed. The most faithful king failed. The wisest king failed. And we saw that the, just the whole kingdom thing failed. Next slide. But this all pointed to Jesus, didn't it? Jesus is the perfect king. He is the perfect priest, the perfect prophet. He was the strongest king and is strong enough for all of us. He is the most faithful king. He never sinned and he never will. And he was the wisest king. He, he literally knows everything, doesn't he? He knows what you'll say before you say it. He knows what you'll do before you do it. And yet he chose you. He chose you. 
The kingdom of God has been, through the work of God, being brought down to earth. And over the thousands of years that God's been doing that, he's tried multiple ways. Not as if he's failed, but he's explaining to us through history. He tried working through a family, and that didn't work because the family failed him. He tried working through a nation, but that didn't work because they demanded a king other than God, and their kings failed. Even the kingdom itself failed. What's our government? What's our government of Jesus on earth here? We don't have one. We still have a civilian government. We still have a people government until Jesus returns. We have the church. We are the priests. We are the prophets. And whoever's in the White House is the king here in this land until the day coming soon when Jesus comes back and says, I'll take that now. I'll be the king as well.
one of the prophets of that period, Elijah. He became very discouraged because he was in the northern kingdom and all the kings were bad. And he said, Lord, I alone am faithful. God said, there are 3,000 that have not bent the knee. There is a faithful remnant and we are called to be faithful even if our government is wicked. Even if the whole culture is wicked, we are to be faithful. You're responsible for you. Follow Jesus. Lord God, I pray for each one here. I pray that you bless them this week, that you give them opportunities to share your gospel with people, that you give them the courage and the words to do so, that you bless the work of their hands, that you bless their relationships they would become more and more like Jesus each day. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. God bless you all this week. See you next week.